is Bloomberg Surveillance. One of the things we have to do is reinvigorate the Atlantic relationship, which is strengthen relations with mm -hmm. the European community. A consequence of Fed tightening over the next year could be a U.S. recession in 2017. I think that is going to add to the upside for the yen. When you value a basket of stocks in Germany now and you're up against a zero interest rate for years, they look very attractive here. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Mr. McKee off this week. What fun it has been to have Barry Ritholtz with a smart conversation on economics, finance, and investment with Barry Ritholtz. Don't forget, masters in or of business. Masters in business? It depends if you're in school or listening to the radio. If you're listening to the radio, it's masters in business. If in you're business. in school, it's a masters of business. Masters in business uh, with Barry Ritholtz. Look for that. It's a once-a-week smart drop into the world of a... Certain guests, and of course, out on iTunes podcast, as is Bloomberg Surveillance as well. We're looking at the end of the quarter into next year. April's Fool's Joke, Jobs Day tomorrow. Jim Glassman, Bill Gross will join us. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Cone Resnick, accounting tax advisory during times of growth crisis and or economic uncertainty. Your business needs the Cone Resnick Advisory Group for the strategies to move forward. Find out more. At ConeResnick.com, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, ConeResnick.com. John Zhu with us now from Hong Kong uh, with HSBC. In the backdrop, John, of uh, where we are and what we're doing is the correct HSBC call on low rates and tepid nominal GDP. Is that a structural move or do you see an end to low rates and tepid economic growth? I think this is something that the world economy is going to find difficult to move out of. There's simply a lot of structural issues that's holding back global demand as well as cyclical demand. And what you're seeing now is still not enough demand to go around and signs of deflation becoming more entrenched in certain areas. So I think the lower for longer view is mm -hmm. probably going to be with us for a while. John, the absolute shift in the final week of this quarter has been every pro is focused on your China. Help us here with the new Silk Road, with the new development of China. What's the thing we need to distill down to about China? I think it's important to separate the near-term data, which is still fairly weak, and what we think is probably a slightly more positive longer-term picture. So China's economy is certainly facing a lot of um, you know, downward pressure from certain industries that are simply probably in terminal decline or have peaked a long time ago. However, that doesn't mean that the potential for China to grow assuming that it does the kind of reforms that it says it's going to do, has necessarily fallen. So we just think that China, although it has grown very rapidly for the past 35, 40 years, it was growing from such a low base that you still have, I think, several years, maybe even a decade, of reasonably rapid catch-up growth. So, John, we were just speaking with A.J. Rajadox of Barclays, and one of the things that had come up, was the enormous credit overhang that China is dealing with. No one doubts the potential growth over the next decade or two, but how are they going to manage to deal with 
this debt. Are, are we being too nervous about their debt? Is it is it manageable or is this a potential problem? I think it is a problem, um, and we worry about it as well, especially given the kind of quite clear deflationary pressures that you're seeing in China. That's clearly not a good thing if you are heavily indebted. So I think, actually, in my view, the right way to go about it, to go about deleveraging, really, is to try and bring growth up. So I would probably argue against a kind of liquidationist argument that, a deflationary fire will suddenly clean out all the inefficiencies. I think that's actually quite dangerous and will be very painful. I would rather try and do what you, know, what you can, and policy still has a lot of room for maneuver, to bring up nominal growth so that that, that becomes much more sustainable when you don't have deflation. And, and what about the fast-growing middle class and the possibility of seeing an actual consumer market. It seems to be kind of bifurcated these days. The, the very wealthy are buying Ferraris and vintage wines and artwork, but the masses don't seem to have access to the same sort of uh, retail spending. Are we going to see a robust middle class develop in China anytime soon? I think you are seeing uh, signs of a middle class rising, um, but it's obviously a much more complicated story. In fact, if you look at the wage data, you see that wages at perhaps the lower end are still growing pretty rapidly, almost partly because the nominal um, sort of uh, minimum wage in a lot of provinces still are rising. So although the probably, you know, the more conspicuous consumption at the top end probably gets the most headlines, we shouldn't forget that people in China are still uh, you know, having medium incomes that are growing reasonably rapidly, even at the low end, especially as they are growing mm-hmm. from, again, a fairly low base. John, I've, I've got to be honest with you. When a clown like me says he goes to China, it's the Hong Kong airport, a fancy car, that lovely drive in Hong Kong from the airport into the city, and one of the fancy hotels and then we reverse the process and come back to New York and say we went to China, which is baloney, as everybody can know. What's going on away from Shanghai, away from Hong Kong, away from Beijing? What is the major distinction between what we know about China and what's really going on in mid-sized cities? I think you're quite right. The growth in China is very clustered, and it is obviously doing very well around Shenzhen and the Guangdong region, and then also in Shanghai, which is focused on financial services and trade, and Beijing, which is becoming a R&D, science and research and media as well hub. But there are places in the inland that I think are still actually growing reasonably strongly, and part of it is because China can afford and can do a lot of fiscal transfers, really. Um, The government can help support growth in the regions that are suffering from, say, the overcapacity, especially in heavy industry in the north. So Mm. we don't deny that some regions, especially those in the north and northeast, have been too specialized in, say, agriculture or industry, are going to have a difficult couple of years. But the, you know, the good thing is that China, right. as a country, although a very diverse country, still has the fiscal room to, I think, mm-hmm. cushion some of the drag that mm-hmm. you have in certain industries in certain provinces. Dovetail your China view 
with your colleague Steve Major's call for shockingly low interest rates. Is that a boon to China to see yield price up, uh, rather price up and yields down? If you have, you know, very low interest rates and that manages to spur investment and consumption and global demand, then that would be, I think, good for China. But there is perhaps only so much that low interest rates can really do right now, especially as many, you know, in the private sector, whether it's households or corporates, are still not feeling particularly confident. So I guess I, um, you know, becoming rather Keynesian in this, which is that if there are very few sources of demand from private sector or from exports, then really government and fiscal policy has to take up some of the slack. Yeah. John Yu, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate, uh, appreciate it. John Zhu, uh, with HSBC in Hong Kong, there's nothing like uh, perspective from uh, Hong Kong at any uh, given moment. Uh, but, Barry, I look at the, the soup out there, which is equity markets moving higher, yields stunningly low and still low. Once again, the, the yield higher crew uh, is chastened. And it, it's just another sobering quarter about what we don't know. You know, if I were to say to you in the beginning of January, uh, hey, don't worry about this market. We'll be back to break even on the S&P and the Dow and yeah, practically flat exactly. on the NASDAQ at the end of the quarter. Again, you would look at me and, and say, what are you smoking? You, yeah, you obviously totally were uh, in Portland recently. You're out of your mind. The ability for the market to to withstand these downdrafts, to be very, very – uh, just robust is is really quite amazing, and yeah. and I think people continue to mm-hmm. underestimate the U.S. markets. Yeah, I, I strongly agree with the idea, and, and whether it's January or December, but uh, people really cautious. And here we are at seventeen thousand seven hundred sixteen, and the VIX. And thank, thank you to Dean Kernick yesterday, who I thought was particularly good for macro risk advisors on. That's the complacency within day-to-day agitation that's out there, the VIX, 13.56. What am I watching? Real simple, the two-year yield to four digits. Janet Yellen, with a vengeance, moves the two-year, 0.7447, and there's a lot of difference of opinion about where that ought to be. Gary Schilling will be with us uh, tomorrow, uh, rather day, with an update. Tomorrow, Jobs Day, Bill Gross. And Jim Glassman uh, with us as we dive into the labor market data. And now to the news in New York. Here's Michael Barr. Tom Barry, thank you very much. A nuclear security summit opens today in Washington. Nuclear terrorism and the Islamic State group are major topics on the agenda. Another issue involves concerns about North Korea's nuclear weapons program. President Obama plans this morning to have a joint meeting with the presidents of Japan and South Korea on Pyongyang. Rescuers in eastern India have confirmed that at least 14 people were killed when an overpass collapsed while under construction today. It fell on people traveling underneath. The other presidential candidates are criticizing Republican frontrunner Donald Trump for his saying that if abortion becomes illegal, women who get one should face some sort of punishment. Trump later reversed himself. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom, Barry? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Uh, Again, Charles Evans, uh, always important, way out front on a lesser GDP, a dampened GDP. 
Our Kathleen Hayes with Charles Evans in the 9 o'clock hour. Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. Surveillance brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more. Get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. Stock Index futures, they are little change this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. Futures are quiet right now. Dow futures currently higher by two points. S&P futures are unchanged. And Nasdaq futures are lower by two. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.82%. And European markets are lower, led by losses in Italy and Spain. On the U.S. economic front, at 8.30, initial jobless claims. At 9 o'clock, ISM Milwaukee. At 9.45, Chicago PMI. And at 10.30, natural gas storage change. After the Bellis Night Micron Q3 forecast missed estimates. And in deal news, Medivation said to work with advisors to defend against takeover. Pacific Crest says Skyworks should acquire or merge with Maxim. Piper says possible of PayPal acquisition remains low. And CLSA says Rackspace unlikely to find a buyer. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Micron cut to market reform at Bernstein. Ball Corp raised to overweight at J.P. Morgan. Square cut to neutral at BTIG. And Target cut to underweight over at Barclays. Live from the first breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K, Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Karen, uh, thank you so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. To the day's headlines, have you searching for more investment views? Invesco's experts, they can help. Find the latest thought leadership at the Invesco blog. Visit Invesco.com slash U.S. to subscribe. Tom King with Barry Ritholtz. And what we like to do with Barry, there's anything, any number of things to talk about. I want to talk, Barry, about should we invest in a Class A, Class B structure? It is happening more and more and more and more and more and more. I can think of a handful with fingers left over of times where it's worked out. And it usually doesn't work out. Does I am not a fan. You know, anytime you create two classes of stock, you're effectively creating two classes of shareholders. And why do I want to be a second class shareholder? When that's done, typically there's a founder or a family involved and they're protecting their interests, which might diverge from mm-hmm. those interests of the shareholders. This is really very basic stuff. I'm going to give one shout out. This to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, uh, in Boston, to the exception of the rule, mm-hmm. which is Richard Smith. The Smith family did General Cinema. They had Neiman Marcus for a cup of coffee. But, you know, that's the, that. but that's the exception. It's the exception that proves the rule. When you can yeah. say, hey, look at these guys doing it right, you are implicitly stating everybody else is doing it wrong to the detriment of investors, and that always makes me crazy. I've always sort of like Walt Disney for that, and I didn't perceive Disney's class A, class B. I mean, went through the whole thing with Roy Disney and, and all that, but there's another example of how you don't have a class B, class A issue. Like that, that's right, and, and we were just speaking to John Zhu in Hong Kong. I've never been a fan of the way 
uh, you have to invest in China with similar Class A and Class B shares. Yeah. Either you're a mainland investor where you get all the advantages of of the shares, or right. you're a B investor in Hong Kong, which very much lack. And I knew where Ritholtz was going, because we never talked before here. Barry and I, frankly, aren't on speaking terms, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. But we never talk about this, so let's go right from Class A, Class B, in the mystery of Asia, to Anbang. I, 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 first of all, Michael Forsyth's article in the New York Times I thought was brilliant. The mm-hmm. back end of it's typical Forsyth. He's a pit bull terrier. Blah, 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 Anbang had no comment. Blah, 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 Anbang had no comment. We have no clue who's trying to buy Starwood, do we? That's right. You don't know what's going to happen with that. We Yesterday, the conversation we had uh, about Ron Perlman and, and what's exactly. happening with Revlon, anytime you have a substantial owner or even a minority owner who is treated differently than the rest of shareholders, it's a red flag. And let me remind people, there are 5,000-plus U.S. stocks out there, and then the rest of the world. If there's a red flag on something, if you're not going right. to be treated well, move on. Find a and, different and stock. You go to the Bloomberg, REV is a symbol, and it says Revlon Inc. hyphen class A. You know, uh, it's not that Ron's being devious about it. Uh, you know, and that's a uh, – maybe Revlon is not the greatest example. What does sure. he own? Almost 80 well, percent. It's a private company with a 20 percent public the media, stock. The media is the place you see it the most, I would suggest. Uh, especially in, in – look at the New York Times. Yeah. Look at uh, – and then you end up with the exceptions like The Guardian where the underlying ownership – was put into a trust with a few billion dollars that's, yeah. that's turned into. That's the exception. For the most part, we saw it, we saw it with the family, with the Bancrofts, with the Wall Street Journal. We see it with the Salzburgers, with the Times. It's a perennial issue with media yeah. properties. And not to beat on the Guardian, but it, like, like every other good trust, they turn billions into millions. You know, you start with a small fortune, you, you start, you take a large fortune and you lose most of it. That's how you create a small fortune. Yeah. Um, end of the quarter, Barry, are we optimistic? Is, is Barry up to his eyeballs? Triple leverage? <laughs> no, we don't do any leverage. We're not fans of, of juicing, um, portfolios that way, but I will tell you that we keep reading headlines, recessions are imminent, here comes a U.S. recession, here comes a global recession. Let, re- let me remind listeners exactly how economic expansion ends. You, you end up with a shortage of workers, which we're starting to see signs of. We see substantial wage increases, increased velocity of money, people spending, spending, spending. The Fed notices a big uptick in inflation, an overheating economy. And they hike, 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 and eventually cut off credit, make it more limited and more expensive. And that's how the expansion ends. Now, we're seeing shortage of people willing to work at $10 an hour. But all the rest of that scenario has yet to play out. There is a recession coming somewhere off in the future. I just don't see it as imminent as so many pundits seem to believe it is. Year to date, the Dow 1.7%. S&P 500 up, rounded up to 0.1%. You, you mentioned the VIX before. In the last 20 seconds we have, mm. maybe what the VIX is telling us is that the presidential elections in the United States aren't a disaster, that the Fed hasn't lost control. Maybe it's not complacent. Maybe the VIX says, hey, there's a little runway here. 
I, well, we'll have to see. I think what I can say for certain is Barry and I are humbled folks, as is Mike McKee by the uh, sweat of January, and now it's turned into 17,716. On the Dow. We hope you enjoy being with us. We are thrilled you're with us on economics, finance, investment, and indeed international relations, uh, economic data. There is a plethora this morning. We'll do that next. Bloomberg surveillance. All due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond.